Welcome to a new episode of The Deep End, uh, brought to you by DigitalOcean, hosted by Mark Lubourdet. I am a software engineer at DigitalOcean, and today I'm interviewing Ola Spalmann, uh, who is the head of IT at Factory in Berlin. Uh, so would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, Mark. Very nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, I work at Factory since uh, roughly a bit more than a year. Um, Factory started out as a, a co-working space in Berlin. Uh, we also have the SoundCloud headquarter. We have uh, Uber offices. We have a lot of very interesting startups. And we moved from there to basically a business club um, that tries to promote startups and find the right connection. And my, my task here is to build software to help with that. Cool. Awesome. So did you always know you were going to be a programmer? Was that something that you had thought of when you were younger? Or what did, what did you study growing, going into university? To be honest, I really, like, I always thought being a programmer. Uh, I didn't really like the idea in the beginning. I started out programming quite young when I was maybe 12, 13, um, with QBasic, funnily enough. <laughs> uh, back then, um, I had a physics teacher. I went to Rudolf Steiner School, or Wallof School, which is a quite hippie school, hippie-esque school. Is it here in Berlin or? Um, it was in Munich. Oh, in Munich. Um, okay. And the physics teacher, he was a really old guy and he wrote a program to teach us how to uh, to learn writing or typing with 10 fingers. <laughs> um, and he wrote this in QBasic and I was interested how he did that. So I took the program home and I found um, the, the keyboard shortcut to get into the code because it's just an interpreted language. You can change it. Um, and I saw all this this code, and I didn't really understand what's going on. But I had an idea that when I changed this, I changed the program. And uh, pretty quickly, I figured out how to change this program. That I always have the the speed and the uh, error uh, uh, tolerance or error amount like a secretary. <laughs> and I gave all my friends this program, and this is actually how I got into that. But I always had a lot of different interests, and um, it took me quite a while to understand that I really, really love programming and that I love the, the very nerdy aspect of it. Before that, I was more interested in just building things, and I thought maybe the business side of it is more interesting to me. But now I, I, I love I love coding. That's fine. So, so when you were when you were in the school, you're 12 years old, and you take this program home with you uh, to start diving into it more. Then, yeah. were other students in your class doing the same thing, or were you just like completely on a separate level? No, my my other friends they were out skateboarding or having uh, their first <laughs> girlfriend, and I was literally I'm not joking. Uh, I was sitting in the basement of my parents, um, and yeah, I took it home on a 3.5 floppy disk. Um, nice. <laughs> and I just, I think this is this is also something when I look uh, at somebody and try to find out if this person is a good coder, if, if he's a good developer or she, um, I think being stubborn is a really good uh, attribute because <laughs> uh, it can be very frustrating uh, sometimes because you don't understand things and it takes some time to, to understand or to grasp a concept. Um, and uh, in coding, I think you have to be stubborn to go through these phases of not understanding um, and I'm very, very stubborn. So I wanted to understand, and I didn't stop until I, I understood. Yeah, totally. I, I can I can see that for sure. Not not that you're stubborn. I can see <laughs> I can I can see that it requires the the, the bit of stubbornness to, yeah. to get through those obstacles. Um, especially when you're young, you you don't you don't really know, right? Like you were saying, it's it's a very exploratory phase. Yeah, right? and that's that's really intriguing to me. I guess my my history of programming came from came from 
probably early high school uh, when I started having a calculator that you could write basic programs on. Yeah. Um, and so they had their own f form of basic on there. And uh, and and writing a slot machine game or something like a, a Mario, like a little Mario game, basically, it was it was a lot of fun. I remember we used to have these uh, these little Tamagotchis. Did, mm -hmm. did you ever have those here? Was oh, it, we, we had those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So these little things, you could feed them and pet, and pet them and play with them and make them do the stupid things. Uh, we had a friend, uh, we had a, a kid who ended up studying at Carnegie Mellon for computer science um, who had basically made a Tamagotchi on his on his thing, <laughs> but for a hippopotamus. <laughs> it, was, it was quite funny. So the, this was sort of, it's funny, the, this, this was my idea of programming. Yeah. But... But I, I didn't really see the, the broad scope growing up. And so for me, I, I went to university for physics. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't get into programming until after I graduated and I started looking for jobs and realized there's not much in physics yeah. other than keeping your, keeping your education going. So did you, did you end up going to university for computer science or was this... Um, no, I started studying out uh, history of arts and uh, literature, and I did that for a year. Uh, but I quickly realized that especially literature uh, isn't really good for me um, because it's a very opinionated uh, subject. A lot of people have a lot of different ideas about literature, and I think it it basically ruins the the joy of reading books for you. Um, but I liked um, I liked the way uh, uh, how how this this subject was. Treated so I switched to a, a more scientific and broader subject, philosophy, and I ended up studying philosophy and economics uh, for quite some time. To be honest, um, <laughs> I think I did three times the amount of uh, um, courses that I should have done, but I was really bad in actually finishing them and writing <laughs> the last paper or what you have to hand in, and I then dropped out. So I was uh, academically seen uh, quite a failure. Um, but I really enjoyed philosophy. Like that is something that I, I mainly did not to get a job, as you said, uh, because it's really difficult as well, similar to physics, to get a job in philosophy. Um, I remember our uh, head professor, however you call that in English, um, he started us uh, or he introduced us to, to philosophy at the university by saying two or three of you will work in the academic field and the rest will be either jobless or driving a taxi, which wow. I found pretty harsh. <laughs> <laughs> but was that stubbornness just drives you more and more to... <laughs> well, I wasn't that stubborn in, in, in studying. I okay. mean, I dropped out in the end. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm a high school dropout, so kind of the same thing. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> I think there are a lot of dropouts in our field. So many, right? Yeah. I, I think that was one of, the, one of the most intriguing things for me is that starting at DigitalOcean, uh, you know, we were we had people who weren't even allowed to drink yet. Yeah. Which in the states, sure, it's twenty one, but but people who didn't finish finish university and were some of the smartest people I've ever worked with. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. Yeah, especially in in developing and, and writing code. I mean, this is something you have to to learn yourself. Uh, there are now there are great uh, uh, ways to learn online, but uh, when I started, you you just learn it yourself, and you cannot learn it at university. At university, usually you l you learn Java or one mm -hmm. object oriented language like C plus uh, plus or something um, to teach you the basics. But if you really want to learn coding, you have to do it yourself. Yeah, for sure. Um, so what are so what are your some of your favorite languages or things that you enjoy programming? At the moment, uh, that is also what we are working at uh, with at Factory. Uh, it's uh, Elixir. Um, it's a quite new language, but it's getting uh, quite a buzz. I think part of the reason is that uh, the team, uh, or also Jose Valim, who developed the language, um, they were 
before pretty strong in the Ruby community. Um, so they have um, like Elixir is basically is based on Erlang. That's the okay, okay. Ericsson telecommunication language which is pretty old and battle proven. And uh, I think 95% of the telecommunication infrastructure run on, yeah. on Erlang. <laughs> so it is a pretty robust uh, system, um, but it's a quite esoteric language and it's hard to read. Um, it's, it's not as bad as Lisp or something, but <laughs> I mean, it, it, is, it is quite esoteric. And Elixir is a language that has the, the developer productivity in mind. You have a framework uh, called Phoenix, which is quite similar to Rails. Um, and it is a functional language, which of course um, has some upsides and some downsides, especially if you haven't worked with a functional language before, it's difficult to get into. But it has a lot of really, really nice features that I, that I enjoy. Um, the whole OTP part is, is fantastic. It's so easy to, to start new processes. Uh, and they're completely encapsulated. You don't have this threat safety issue um, like in Ruby. Um, yeah, and you can you can have I don't know ten thousand processes started in in a matter of seconds and hand them jobs and they communicate with each other. How do they How do they do the communication? Is it because it's kind of like inter-process communication, right? Like it's inter-process communication, um, uh, which is handled by Erlang. Okay. Um, I didn't dive into this part too deep. Um, but it's basically you, you pass or receive messages. And, okay. um, so, uh, so Elixir bubbles up the inter-process communication, the IPC, up to Erlang? Uh, yeah. Or, okay, cool. Yeah. Interesting. Nice. I think so, yeah. So are you, so are you, this is mainly for like backend? This is for backend. Right, data processing kind of stuff, yeah? Exactly. So the front-end part, we reuse uh, Angular 2, even though mm -hmm. React is so insanely popular. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I really liked... Um, when I first read the announcements uh, for Angular 2, or now Angular, uh, or Angular 4, or Angular, <laughs> I think I think the last time I read about the, the naming confusion was that uh, the official way is to say Angular JS for Angular 1, and uh, Angular, just Angular for everything after that. It's like the iPhone naming convention, right? Who yeah. even understands how to? I always forget what iPhone I have. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't have an iPhone. So. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so yeah, so uh, curious to know a little bit more about Ula, right? So what makes, um, what kind of music do you listen to? It really depends on uh, what I'm doing while I listen to music. Um, it's, it's a pretty wide range. I like classical music, um, uh, pretty cheesy stuff like uh, Chopin, The Nocturnes, or maybe Philip Glass. Um, sometimes even something quite dramatic like Wagner, uh, but it really depends on the mood. Um, and then when I when I work, I think it's it, for me it's really difficult to listen to any music with uh, vocals. Oh yeah, can't at all. Yeah, you never do that. So I like to listen to techno a lot. And actually, my favorite uh, album to to work because it's really energetic is the the soundtrack by Hans Zimmer for uh, the Dark Knight, Batman: The Dark Knight. So amazing. <laughs> and I had a really funny situation. I have to tell you that. Um, I had a, uh, a date with a girl and we were sitting in my uh, living room and listened to some music. And we listened to the playlist on Spotify, uh, the most listened uh, music of the last year, some special album they brought out or playlist. Um, and it was just the Batman soundtrack for me <laughs> because I use it all the time for working. And she, she thought or she must have thought that I'm some kind of lunatic uh, uh, Joker character that yeah, is going you to murder red and, red and white makeup in the bathroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was quite embarrassing, but yeah. <laughs> That's funny. 
Yeah, I, I totally understand. It's uh, for me, it, it's weird. Like I, I really enjoy listening to music, but when I'm working, it's just my brain can't focus on both at the same time. And if and if it's a poppy type song with words, there's no yeah. way. I stand no chance at actually getting anything, <laughs> getting anything done. It's also, I mean, you you must be in a different position at uh, Digital Ocean because uh, you're a very technical company, of course. But if you if you just have a, a smallish IT team in a not so technical technical company, uh, you have to first. Uh, educate your colleagues that interrupting a developer in the middle of, of a thought process can take uh, away quite a chunk of his time um, <laughs> because it just takes time to get back into the yep. process. Absolutely. So I actually bought for our team, I bought bright yellow uh, uh, ear protection, mm -hmm. uh, the ones you use in a, on a construction site. Oh, yeah. It's mainly to uh, signal like, don't interrupt me, uh, I'm working <laughs> right now. <laughs> It's oh. funny. It's it's cool. I mean, DigitalOcean actually has a huge remote culture. So yeah. part of the reason that I'm in Berlin right now is is I'm here for a month just because I just because I feel like it. Um, I've actually been traveling for about 18 months now. Yeah. Um, I was living in New York before this, and my lease ended at my apartment. I got this job at DigitalOcean where I could you know work remotely. So why not take advantage of it? That is pretty um, amazing. What is your feeling about uh, remote culture? Like, what is important to to get this to work? Because I think a lot of um, companies try and fail. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think I think one of the really really important things from the beginning is that you have to start with the understanding that you're building a culture around people who work remotely. Right. You're not just you're not just a company that has an office that also has remote employees. You're a you're an you're you're a team of remote employees, yeah. right? And so you have to. It's really having that inclusion uh, amongst everybody at the company is really really important. And so DigitalOcean, for example, take you know does a lot of really cool little things like sending pet. You'll just get random packages d delivered to you. And for me, it's actually kind of funny because. I don't have any sort of address, so all of my packages get sent to my parents' house in, in, in New Hampshire. So, so every once in a while, they'll send a picture of something that I got from DigitalOcean, and they get so excited about it. Like, we love your company. <laughs> Send us a cheesecake last week. <laughs> that is amazing. Huh? Yeah, so it's, it's cool. I mean, do you... Do you, I mean, it's so interesting for me because I before this I had worked for a, a huge company with you know six thousand people in the office. Mm. Um, you know, you have to show up you know before nine o'clock and you stay until at least five thirty six o'clock. Um, so it's a very structured environment. So having that having that culture with you of of having a smaller IT department in a company that's not IT fo fo you know, yeah. focused, do you find that difficult to try to? to try to make, like, how, how do you promote the lifestyle within the office as well? Um, I think uh, our management team is really, really good in uh, um, giving a lot of responsibility to the team and trusting uh, the team members to actually do a good job. So um, they basically just hand me a problem and say, all of this, this has to be done or this has to be fixed. We, we on a higher level, we, we need this or we want to go in this direction. And then uh, our team or my team uh, figures out how to get there. And of course, we report back. But how we do that, where we do that is actually uh, our concern. So I can, nobody will say anything if I always come in at, at four in the afternoon, if I would do that. Like <laughs> I, I try to start my day as early as possible because then I can enjoy the rest of the day. But if I would decide to do that and I get the work done, it is totally fine. So it's just a decision uh, made between uh, the colleagues. Um, but uh, of course, sometimes you uh, people don't um, understand the developer lifestyle, or the, not lifestyle, but the 
what it means to, to write software because they just don't know. And then, of course, you have to, to tell them. Um, but as long as they listen, I think it's not an issue. And especially here at Factory, we are in a really, really great position because we have partners like DigitalOcean and Google um, who bring great people here uh, where we can have an ex amazing exchange. So, And then, of course, we have all the startups uh, who also have uh, uh, amazing and talented people. Um, and I can always just go downstairs to the ground floor to our co-working space or our community space um, and talk to to uh, anybody and uh, this exchange I think um, makes up for uh, the smaller team and uh, at least I enjoy it a lot. Yeah for sure. So do you guys mostly work out of that co like sort of uh, co-space co like with all, with all the other people or do you have your own separate? We have our own separate uh, office but um, uh, sometimes I like to sit down uh, uh, downstairs at uh, the, uh, the community space okay. yeah. but it, it depends like just uh, also on, on what you're working on. Uh, I think the community space sometimes is better for work that doesn't need that much focus. Um, and you can also work a bit longer because there are people stay longer because there are more people. You have, you have uh, uh, over a thousand members now, so there are a lot of people oh, coming wow. in and out. And yeah, Cool. Yeah, a lot of people from, Ber from Berlin area or a lot of people from all over? A lot of international people. Yeah. Um, like I mainly speak English. Uh, while it works, so okay. Yeah, yeah. I think I I got dinner uh, last week with with a friend of a friend, and he was uh, he was talking about ordering at the at the restaurant, and and I don't know any you know much German. I've, yeah. I've been here a few times, so I uh, so I've sort of learned a, a few things over over time. But uh, so when I'm at a restaurant, okay, how would, can I ask for something that's polite? And I'm like, how how would you say this? And he took that very literally. And his response was, well, I probably would just speak English, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so Berlin is this really interesting, interesting city. Because you're, you're not originally from here. You said you're from, like, Munich area? Or? Exactly. I moved yeah. here, like, 12 years ago. Okay. Um, Berlin is a city uh, I live in the longest. I discussed that with uh, Berlin friends, and I'm now allowed to call myself <laughs> a Berliner since I, I cannot really call myself um, somebody from Munich or Münchner since I wasn't born there. And, okay. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, Berlin is the city I live in the longest. But you're totally right with speaking English. That that is such a funny fact here in Berlin. Uh, friends of mine just opened a, a brunch uh, place, brunch cafe, um, and they uh, got some complaints on Facebook on their Facebook page uh, because it's a, in a bit working class area uh, in deep Neukölln, um, and. A lot of their staff only speaks English, and some some Germans were complaining that they had to order in English, <laughs> and then they realized, oh, this might be a problem, and they didn't think about that in the beginning because it was so natural for them. So, well, they have to speak English; it's not an issue because yeah. everybody in Berlin speaks yeah. English. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually uh, was in Kreuzberg uh, a couple uh, two weeks ago, and I was at a cafe on a Sunday, just sort of walking around the city, and I sat down and I went to or I went to order, and I was like. Can I bitte ein heiße Schokolade haben? Oh, I was like, can I, I was like, can, can I please have, can I please have a hot chocolate? Right. And, uh, and the guy was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then he went to ask me a question and he just started sort of fidgeting and sort of stumbling. Like he couldn't think of what to say. And I'm like, you, you can speak English. <laughs> I realized he's from, he's from England and he just couldn't remember how to ask if I wanted cream in the, in the hot chocolate. Uh, so it's, it was, just, it was a totally eye opening. The first sort of experience that I had had where it was like, whoa, okay, I'm trying my best to, you know, fit into, 
to the to the society and not be like the mean yeah. American that's like just assuming everybody speaks English. Uh, but now, you know, it's funny they don't actually speak German. <laughs> yeah, but it, it also works the other way around. So uh, I used to live uh, with uh, friends from England and they had to plan to to uh, learn German while they're here in, in, in Berlin. And it was really hard for them because nobody would speak German to them. Uh, after like two <laughs> sentences, uh, everybody realized, okay, you're new to German. Let's just speak English. It's much easier. <laughs> and they didn't learn. And then they got lazy and they thought, okay, fuck it. I'm not going to learn German. We're just yep. speaking English. Everybody <laughs> speaks English now. This is it. My, it reminds me of a story from, uh, I was in Stockholm this, like maybe six, seven months ago. And uh, I have a good friend who lives up there. So we got dinner one night at this restaurant. And, uh, you know, my first immediate reaction, I don't speak any mm. Swedish. But my first question to the to the waitress was was Do you speak English in in Swedish? Total the English And my friend started laughing. <laughs> like, dude, that's so rude. <laughs> it's like asking if they went to kindergarten, <laughs> especially in Sweden. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> but it's like it's funny because uh, we do have this sort of there is this I think in general a general opinion from Europeans that Americans will come to Europe and not know any of any other language. Um, which is often true, but which I mean, is often true. Yeah, but I mean, it's not uh, such a problem. No, not in Berlin. Like, yeah, not in Berlin. I've I've been in Munich a few times. I have friends who live there, and and it's definitely a much different, especially if you're a little more in the country area. Um, if you're kind of in the suburbs, it's it's uh, it's you can't always assume that everybody yeah. speaks English. But. I mean, especially in Berlin, we have a we have a couple of people who who. Uh, are worried about the influx of uh, um, not foreign people, like they're not not right wing nuts or, or something, <laughs> but um, they want to keep the Berlin culture up. And yeah. uh, of course, um, we have an issue with gentrification, and uh, and uh, the rents go up, and and uh, places uh, that are important for culture are closing down. Um, but some of them are taking it very far and and just attack tourists or um, against international people in Berlin, which I find totally crazy because this is for me part of the the charm of, of Berlin that you can meet people from all over the world and uh, Berlin would be a pretty dull place if only people originally from Berlin would uh, would live here. And, yeah. But you sometimes hear this argument and <laughs> it's pretty crazy. It's the same way I feel about New York as well. I, I love New York. It's still one of, if not my favorite city in the world, it's uh, it's up there. And just like Berlin, it's just this culture melting pot. Yeah. But you totally didn't grow diverse. up there, right? No, I, I grew up near Boston. Okay. Um, so I think there's this general rule as well that if you live there for about five years, then you can kind of call yourself a New Yorker. Um, it feels like home to me. So Boston, <laughs> talking about uh, bad stereotypes, that's the place <laughs> where tough Irish people are from. Oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can I can try to put on my Boston accent, but it's, <laughs> it's it can get dirty. <laughs> um, cool. Uh, so what else? Uh, what else can you tell me about yourself? Are you yeah, big hobbies? I, I mean, I'm assuming programming isn't your whole life. I mean, even though it's been since you were 12. Um, well. To be, I, I love reading, I love philosophy, I love politics, I love going out, uh, which is great in Berlin, of mm -hmm. course, uh, a lot of uh, uh, very interesting clubs here. Um, I love sports. I don't know. What do you want to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I do love the club scene. It's, uh, it's great. Uh, I actually did go to Bergheim uh, about a week and a half, a couple weeks ago. They did, yeah. yeah. I, uh, I had to buy a leather jacket uh, specifically to try to get in. 
But I, I think this is something a lot of people get wrong when they talk about Berghain and how to get in. First thing I don't really like is that they just focus on the door, like how to mm -hmm. get in and everything is about the door. Right. Um, and it is actually pretty easy to, to get into Berghain if you do it right. Uh, of course, there are certain factors, like if you arrive in a group of, of 10 people and everybody is totally uh, uh, out of their mind, then of course you don't, don't get in. But that is the same in every club. Um, and I think... Um, Berghain or the bouncers at Berghain are not that different from developers, to be honest, <laughs> because they're really content driven. Or um, So if you walk up there and you say, well, I wanted to listen to this DJ or, or this person is playing and I, I really like to dance uh, to this music and, and I'm looking forward to this since two weeks, then they know, you know what it, uh, what it is about. <laughs> and then, of course, Berghain is a pretty special place. Um, so they don't want people who just want to have a look, want to have a peek at the, right. the craziness inside. Um, so it is more about uh, actually understanding the culture and respecting the culture than uh, wearing the right clothes because that would be too easy. Everybody can buy yep. uh, a leather jacket. <laughs> so there must have been something else positive uh, about uh, you or how you approach the door. It, for sure, I can guarantee you it wasn't a leather jacket. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> I'll try again and see without the leather jacket, maybe see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> you should do it. I can recommend to read the program before you go there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, it's funny. I know nothing about music. I'm terrible. I'm so bad with it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can also be honest and just say, I was here for one time. I loved it. I have to go back inside. I did. I did love it. It was amazing. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's infectious. Like the whole, the, you know, everything that the scene, everybody is just enjoying themselves so much. Mm. And it's like, especially coming from the software lifestyle where, we work pretty hard like it doesn't seem that way sometimes to outside people because yeah. we work weird hours or or sometimes we take three you know three hour breaks in the middle of the day because we need to decompress and yeah. and it's just it's a different way of it's a different way of thinking it's a different way of working um but but we do work hard and it's it's obviously very important um, and so that decompression that, yeah. that ability to just kind of go out and, and like feel the the music is that to me is what I really enjoy about it. Especially downstairs, like in, in Berkeley at the Panorama Bar, it's mm -hmm. an almost uh, bodily experience with these <laughs> the, the massive sound system and like this black mass of people, just like everybody dressed in, in black and and dancing and <laughs> going crazy. That so is. when so when was the when was the first time you think you went to a club? Um, well, I was uh, maybe. 16 and I, I, I already I now look pretty young um, and I looked like a child when I was 16. So this was three years ago, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and the funny thing there was that, of course, the bouncers didn't let me in because they realized I'm too young. And because I'm stubborn, I didn't accept that they didn't let me in and I thought about a way to, to fix this. And I wrote, uh, I'm not joking, I wrote a, a little social network in PHP with MySQL database um, where you could connect with your friends and uh, uh, you could see what events are going on and you could say, I'm going there. Uh, so that was way before uh, Facebook in, in Germany. And I don't know if they already did it in the, in the US. I mean, it is a pretty obvious concept. Um, and the promoters of the clubs, they could use this tool uh, to feature their their events. And uh, in order to, to be allowed to do that, they had to hand out guestless places. So suddenly um, I was 
a coder who looked really, really young, <laughs> um, but the bouncers had to let me in because <laughs> their bosses were promoting uh, the parties on, on my platform. That's that, amazing. That was pretty funny. That's really cool. I had run for a couple of years. I, I did a lot of terrible mistakes. Um, <laughs> the first mistake, like to make it big, the thing was called don't tell anyone. And <laughs> <laughs> so it never really took off. I think I, I it capped at around 5,000 or 6,000 uh, members or, or users. Um, and also one, one mistake I made was, uh, there were a lot of people who were really annoying. Um, and I tried to kick them out instead of implementing some kind of filter system that not everybody has to see them. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had a little, it was called, um, a shout box where people could write something and everybody else would see, which is like a really shitty small version of a newsfeed. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I didn't understand or grasp the concept of a newsfeed and that this would be something really good. Um, so I think there are a lot of, lot of change, uh, a lot of mistakes that I made, which are the reason that this never got big, but it was fun to do it. Yeah. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. All right, cool. Well, Ola, it was fantastic to, to get to meet you and I'm sure all of the, the listeners of this podcast will, will enjoy the talk that we had today. It was a pleasure being here. Thanks for having me. All right. And uh, to all our listeners, stay tuned for the next episode of The Deep End, brought to you by DigitalOcean.